Good morning, everybody. Generosity is what God wants for you, not from you. Raise your hand if you've heard this statement before in your life. Okay. We use it almost every week to introduce the offering portion of our worship service. But it's been a while since we took the time to actually explain what that means. And so we thought, since it's so part of the Mill City culture, we ought to take one Sunday to dig into why do we say that every week? Why do we introduce the offering that way? And is that true? Is generosity really something that God wants for you and not from you? And, and what are the implications of that? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to start with an analogy uh, from parenting because I think it'll help us get a sense of, the, of why we say this. Right? I can think of lots of things that I want for my children as a dad. Right? The list, that list is long. I want, I want things like, uh, I want them to grow up and have a loving relationship with Jesus. I want them to love each other and have lifelong friendships, which sometimes seems like a long shot, you know, depending on the moment. Uh, I want them to love themselves. I want them to learn who they are and really, really understand how God created them. And I want them to like themselves and I want them to love themselves and I want them to feel secure in their identity. Uh, I want them to discover what God has in mind for them to do with their life. I want them to discover what they're good at and what gifts God's given them so that they can do meaningful work in their life. And the list goes on and on and on, right? It isn't that hard to make a list of people who are close to you, uh, things that you want for them in their life. So it doesn't have to be a child, it can be a friend, it can be a significant other, it can be a neighbor, a family member, parent. Just think of somebody that you love for a second and think of one thing that you hope for in their life, something that you want for them. Can you think of something? These are relatively easy lists to make when you start to think about the people you love and what you want for them. Now the challenge is that the people we love don't always want the same things that we want for them, right? Especially when you know best what's better for everyone else. And they don't always accept that. Anybody have that experience? Yeah? People don't always want what other folks think is best for them. And we can't force, most of the time, we can't force them to receive what we want for them. They have to accept it. They have to choose it. They have to pursue it. Which is why sometimes uh, we feel lots of tension around these kinds of conversations with people that we love. I think God has a list of things that God wants for us as a loving parent to each of us. I think that list is kind of long. But God doesn't force us to accept those things the same way we can't force other people to accept what we think is best for them. Even when God knows what's best for us, God chooses to let us either receive those gifts or reject them, right? That's part of how the Bible describes God for us and, and how we've learned to know who God is. God wants us to accept the love that God has for us in Jesus, but God's not gonna force us to do that. That's our choice in our life. We have freedom to choose those things or reject them. So generosity and generous living is on this list of things that God wants for us. It's on the list of things that as a loving parent, God wants us to pursue in our lives. God wants us to live generously because God, not because God needs our money, 
not because God is sweating the offering every week and is hoping to keep his whole operation funded. God wants us to live generously because it's what's best for us. It's who we are. It's how God designed us to live in the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to explore in more depth what does this mean that God wants generosity for us? How, how do we live into it? So I'm going to use a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to read in chapter 9, verses 6 to verse 15. But I need to give you a little bit of background on the text in order to understand it well. Uh, first of all, it's a fundraising text primarily, okay? This is a pitch that Paul, the Apostle Paul is making to some of these churches that he's started over the last few years. He went out to Gentile, meaning non-Jewish communities, and started new churches, preached the gospel, people became converts to Christianity, they, weren't, they didn't have Jewish heritage, they weren't Jews all the time, and they started new churches. And they're in a number of cities around uh, the Middle East. And so Paul is going back to those communities and asking them for money to help people who are experiencing poverty in Jerusalem. And now he agreed to do this fundraising when he went out on this mission with the leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem. They asked him, when you go out, will you raise money so that we can attend to the needs of the people in Jerusalem? And he agreed to do it. So this fundraising campaign is important for a couple of reasons. One is, these people that he's fundraising from, they just became Christians. You know, they're still learning what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And most likely, they have zero relational connection to the people experiencing poverty in Jerusalem. So it isn't as if it's their long-lost cousin or distant relative or whatever in Jerusalem that they want to naturally support. They, they're being asked to contribute funds from you know, limited resources to help people they never met based on a faith they just embraced. Does that make sense? The second reason it's really important is because Paul is collecting money from non -Jew, primarily non-Jewish people to help Jewish Christians, primarily Jewish Christians, in Jerusalem. And so the fundraising effort represents a cross of ethnic boundaries, cultural boundaries, and is a, really a major opportunity for the expanding unity of the Christian church. That the Jerusalem Christians, who kind of see themselves as the, the original Christians, right? That they would see that people who are converting to Christianity care enough to sacrifice from their own resources to help them, even though they never met solely based on their faith in Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. So Paul's writing, and if you read uh, around the part that I'm going to read to you, you know that Paul's not ab above sort of borderline guilting people into giving. He likes to tell them this is what the other churches are doing, you know, like they have one of those thermometers over in Macedonia and it's climbing. And don't you kind of want to have the same thermometer in Corinth and like don't get behind, you know. He says some stuff like that uh, to try to get them motivated to give. But then in this core uh, section of his reasons for why they should be part of this fundraising campaign, we really do get a sense of why generosity is what God wants for us and not just something that is uh, uh, um, want, being wanted from us. And so let's read this text together and pay attention to where you see that idea that generosity is something that God wants for us. All right, verse 6. Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sows just means like plants, right? If you're not a farmer, it means planting things. Whoever 
plants sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever plants generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he, referring to God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, our gener your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, meaning giving money to the Jerusalem Christians, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, uh, I have three pieces of this, three reasons why generosity is something that God wants for you, not from you. And the first one is to help make our hearts, to help our hearts transform and become more like God's heart. In, in verse 7 here of this section that I just read to you, it says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, meaning that you're forced to do it, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, have you ever been an uncheerful giver? Yeah, I have. If you're raising money, have you ever tried to raise any money? If you're raising money, generally speaking, it's hard work, right? You don't care a ton about how cheerful the people are. The same, right? Most of the time. You're like, oh, you want to give $100, $50, $1,000? Your next question isn't, how cheerful are you about it? Because I don't, I don't want to take it if you're not real cheerful. So it's not a great fundraising technique right here for Paul, right? But he has to make this point because he knows that this isn't just about trying to get enough money in to help the poor people in Jerusalem. It's actually about the transformation and continued discipleship of the hearts of the people who have come to know Jesus Christ. And so he starts out here in this section by saying, give what your heart tells you to give. Don't give because you are forced to. Don't give um, because uh, reluctantly, but give because you want to. The desire to give is just as important or more important as the giving itself. So God wants us to want to give. You ever use this phrase? I have a friend Jordan and I, we used to always say like, I want to want to work out. But I'm like one want away from actually acting on that, right? Like it's one degree of separation. I want to want to go to the gym, 
just can't get over the hump. God wants us to have the desire to give. Why? Because that means we're becoming people, our character is being shaped, so that we become people who see opportunities to live generously. And it's almost like you can't stop us from stepping into those things because that's what we care about the most. That's what we love. That's who we are. And in part, God wants us to love giving because God loves giving. And we're created in the image of God. We serve a God who gives recklessly and generously all the time. And so God wants us to want to give. God doesn't want to demand that you give to this church or anything else. God doesn't want to force you to give. God doesn't want to manipulate you into giving. God wants you to want to give. And that is what God wants for you. It's not a ploy to get something from you. Is that making sense? I think about some key people in my life, people that are close to you. And I think about a heart that wants to give. My dad has been an amazing example of this in my, in my life. No matter how many resources he had available to him, it was like as soon as he saw or became aware of a need, he felt, he felt the desire to do something about it. You know some of those people in your life? It's like they can't help themselves. They just have this impulse to want to be generous towards people and situations that they can see they can do something about, that they have a resource. We've been working with our children on figuring out how to address the questions that come when you drive around Minneapolis and there are people holding signs that say they have needs, which happens a lot in, in our neighborhood. And my son Cole, it's like his, he can't help himself. He's like looking around in the back seat of the van for anything that will help anybody who's holding a sign because that's just how his heart is shaped at the moment. He doesn't understand the situation. He doesn't understand any of the complexities of it. He just knows, I want to give. I want to help. That's the kind of person that God wants each of us to be. That's the kind of community that God wants us to be. God wants us to live generously because it helps shape our hearts to become more like God's heart. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that God wants generosity for us so that we learn to trust God's provision instead of living in fear and anxiety about not having enough. Okay? So we go on to verse 8 here, and it says, And God is able, and I pause there intentionally, God is able, God has the ability to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to bless us so that at every opportunity, we can enter into the work God has for us to do. And the next two verses are the same thing said a different way. It says, God will increase your store of seed uh, so that you can reap more harvest. And in uh, one of the references in this uh, passage to Hosea, it talks about the harvest as unfailing love. And I like to substitute that. That the more that you plant, the more that you invest, God is able to give you these plants, these investments, these seeds. The more you plant, the more unfailing love you get back and that you experience. And then again, he says they will, God will enrich your life so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
that God would increase your knowledge of who Jesus is, that God would increase your confidence about who you are, that God would enrich your character so that every time you have a chance, you can be generous towards other people. You can not only be generous once in a while, but you can live generously as a lifestyle. These three verses, they say the same thing three times, which is one of the Bible's way to emphasize something. God will bless you so that you can bless others, right? Now, this is one of those passages that's horribly misinterpreted by some Christians, so I need to pause and address that. Some of you maybe even been in situations where people say, look, the Scripture is saying if you, if you invest more, you get more back. It's a horrible misinterpretation of what Paul's trying to say here. I disagree completely with that interpretation because three times the Scripture says you will be given this so that you can bless somebody else. It is clearly an emphasis of the church and individual Christians as a conduit of blessing into the world. Genesis 12, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations of the world. That's how God created us to function in the world. We are to be a conduit of God's blessing through us, enjoying God's blessing in our lives and allowing that blessing to flow into others. And as many of you have heard who've listened to me preach, otherwise the church and us as individuals become a terrible stinky pond with nothing ever flowing out of it uh, because we've hoarded all of the things that came our way and protected it rather than allowed us to flow into the lives of other people. God doesn't use, doesn't see the world through this scarcity mindset that sometimes we have. I recognize that there are moments in each of our lives where we, we're struggling to figure out how to make ends meet, and that is an important thing that we need to support each other from. But God, we need to know that God doesn't look at the world and think, well, I only have $7, so this is what I can do with my $7. I, I have everything. God created everything and all resources are available to God, right? And so I look at the world that way and I invite people to trust me that if I ask you to do something, if I ask you to move in a particular way, that I can provide the thing that you need in order to do that. That's a really different way than the hoarding mentality that sometimes we all come up against in the 21st century where we're all focused on trying to keep as much and save as much and create as much security as we can around what we have. The assumption is that resources that come to me are primarily mine and I get to direct them. That's the normal assumption in the 21st century. God's inviting us into a different way of thinking where we say, everything I have is from God and I have the privilege of deciding how to, to direct those resources towards God's purposes. I have the privilege of directing my time, my friendship, my emotional energy, my money, any resource that's available to me, towards the work that God's already doing in the world. That's part of what I get to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. I thought um, so many people in our community embody generosity. Mill City is an incredibly generous church. But one of the examples I thought of was so many of you who have been involved in considering, preparing, pursuing, and actually adopting or fostering children. If any of you have friends who have been in that stage of life where they're considering that, it takes an enormous amount of confidence in God's ability to provide to say, can we emotionally support? Can we financially support? Can we provide a home that's going to be good for these children, whether they're with us for a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever it is? There's so many unknowns related to that, and yet 
Lots and lots of people in this community have been pursuing that. To me, it's one of the great examples of, I don't know how this is going to go, and I don't, know, I don't know exactly how the story ends, but I feel compelled, my heart feels compelled to go out and love these children in the name of Jesus for however long that God entrusts them to me. God wants us to live generously so that we learn to trust God's provision rather than spending our whole lives being afraid and worried about not having enough. That's the second reason. And then the final reason is um, that generosity demonstrates God's love to the rest of the world. This is probably my favorite part of this passage. If you look with me in verse 11 and 12 there, it says, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs, it's not only meeting the needs of people who are experiencing poverty, uh, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So generosity, it's not just a way for us to figure out how to meet more needs and share more resources, as important as that is, but it's also about helping people to see who God really is. And maybe the thing I hear the most from my non-Christian friends, and as I read what people think who aren't part of the Christian church, I see them saying things like, well, just show me the tangible impact of what Christians are doing in the world. That's what I want to see. What does Christianity actually do? And one of the opportunities we have in the 21st century as the church is to live in a radically generous way so that people watch what we're doing and they say, wow, why do these people think they can give so much of themselves away so continuously? Aren't they afraid that they won't have enough? We all are. And in the midst of that, what Paul's saying is, look, this will be great. I'm excited to get the money and I'm excited to help the Christians in Jerusalem. But way more than that, this is going to establish God's reputation across the whole land. That you, who've just come to Christ, would take the risk to give out of what you have to help people you never heard of because you love Jesus. That says something, doesn't it? In the early church, Christians were taking people in when there was a plague. One of the ways the Christian church grew early on was that people who got the plague would be just put out into the street by their family members and some Christians took the risk to go out and take those people in and care for them at great risk to themselves and their families. And one of the sociological reasons for the growth of the early church was that all of these people who were sick uh, with plague and other diseases became Christians. And all the people they knew became Christians because they were like, who else lives like this? Who else would risk their lives and live so generously uh, as to care for us? Something that they believe about God must be important. And that's the same thing that's true of many of you in this church, that not only as a church are we trying to live generously, but you do this in your daily life. I hear the stories of you all investing yourselves in the people around you through your work, through your relationships, through the way you care for your neighbors. You all are doing this in really significant ways. Let me invite the band to come back up. I'm almost done. So God wants us to live generously so the world will know how much God loves them. God wants our, our hearts to be changed. God wants us to trust God's provision so we're not scared of not having enough all the time. And God wants us to live generously so the world will know who God is and how much God loves them. And I want to conclude the sermon today and introduce communion by saying, 
the cross, this cross that hangs up here every week, is uh, maybe the best illustration of why God wants generosity for us. That even though we wanted nothing to do with God at different points in our life or at different points of our history, God says, I, I will give everything I have. I'm spending it all. Uh, one author says, God is insanely generous. Like God has lost God's mind in God's generosity. To give up your son. To have your son say, I lay my life down voluntarily. Nobody's taking it from me. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to the people who are threatening me, who are torturing me, who are killing me. And to try to overwhelm them with generosity. That's the way the God of the Bible tries to get people to come into relationship. God doesn't force us. God tries to overwhelm us with generosity and say, I will even give up my life for you. I will suffer things that no one should have to suffer just to try to convince you that my love for you is real. And for those of us for whom that belief and that moment has changed our life, then we get to become the people who live that same way in the lives of other folks. We're not supposed to just sit here and say, God, you did this for us. Thank you so much. We just can't wait for heaven. We're just going to sit here in the Sheridan school and wait until heaven comes. No, no, no. Jesus is inviting us to step out into that world and live in this radically generous way so that other people can realize who the God of the Bible really is. And all the nonsense that's applied to the God of the Bible in the 21st century, all the things that are written about God that aren't true, all the things that are said about God that aren't true, we need a different witness to that God of the Bible. Do you see that? We need the reputation of God's church and the reputation of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to be built on the lives of people who are willing to give themselves up for the sake of the other, the same way our leader did. Amen? So when we take communion today, I want you to keep in your mind what an amazing, generous act it was that Jesus was willing to give up His life. Even for the people who were literally arresting Him, torturing Him, and killing Him, He was giving up His life and asking for God's forgiveness of those people while they were killing Him. That's how generous our God is. And so when you take this bread, you take this gluten-free cracker that represents Jesus' bread, and some grape juice, you dip your cracker in the juice as you come up. If you've not been with us, take a cracker, dip it in the juice. There'll be people along the walls here who are ready to pray for you if that's something you'd like to pursue today. But just say a breath prayer as you're receiving communion today that simply says, God, thank you. Thank you. I'm overwhelmed by your generosity. Help my heart to become more like your heart. Help our church to continue to build the reputation that you want to have in the world. And that may more people thank you because of our lives. All right? Let's pray and the communion service can come forward. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus, you have done for us what we could have never even imagined. And your generosity is hard for us to even get our hearts and our minds around. But we hear the challenge, God, that you've placed in for, before us today to accept the gift of generous living, to trust you, to let our hearts follow your heart, to declare your reputation to the world, God, that our generosity might result in people giving thanks to you, people loving you, people committing their lives to you, God, that the world would be changed because we trust you. God, help us uh, not to be protective of what you have given to us, but hold it with open hands and look for opportunities 
to share whatever you have with others. May we be open-handed people because you've been open-handed with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.